Many years ago, an Austrian village hired a uh, gentle old man to clear away the debris from a mountain pool that fed a lovely stream that flowed down into their village. The old man lived high above the village in the Alps, and every day he would remove leaves and twigs and things that had fallen in. And he kept the gurgling stream pure and flowing and fresh into the village. And the village became very popular with tourists. The farms around it were naturally irrigated. Swans floated on the stream. Um, diners enjoyed lovely meals overlooking the water. Well, years passed, and uh, one night at a city council meeting, one of the, uh, the, the councilmen noticed the small sum of money paid to the keeper of the spring. And he demanded, who is this man and why are we paying him? And nobody really remembered him, and so they took him off the payroll. For several weeks, nothing changed. Then autumn came, the trees began to shed their leaves. And one afternoon, someone noticed that the lovely spring was now a yellow-brown and that a slimy film had started to cover the water and it had begun to stink. The swans left, the tourists stopped coming, and the farmer's crops wilted. Well, embarrassed, the town council realized their mistake and hired back the old keeper of the spring. And within weeks, the river began to clear up. Jesus says that our spiritual lives are like that mountain stream. That his intent is for a life-giving water to flow through us into the needs of our neighbors. But if we don't tend the river, if we don't keep the spring. Sometimes the river can dry up or become stagnant or even stink. Jesus describes our lives as a river of life in John 7, 37. One of my favorite renewal verses, if we have that one. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Lord is speaking on the last night of the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Uh, originally, the Feast of Booths was uh, given to Israel to help them remember God's provision while they were in the wilderness. Over time, it had been linked to the agricultural year. It, it happened in uh, late September. And often there would be a lot of prayers for rain for the coming harvest, just like Ray was talking about. 
And on the seventh morning of the feast, a priest would lead a procession and thousands of people might follow him. And he'd go from the temple, he'd walk down to this stream. He'd have this big golden bowl. He'd fill it with water. He'd take it back up to an altar and he'd pour the water on the altar while everyone around him would sing Psalms 113 to 118. It's quite a picture, isn't it? Well, apparently at this moment, when thousands of Israelites are singing and the priest is pouring water on the altar, Jesus stands up and says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I am the real source of living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That may be one of the simplest gospel presentations in the Bible. If you are thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. I think what thirst means here is, is just what we need, what we want. Everyone thirsts. We thirst for love. We thirst for meaning. We thirst for safety. We thirst for grace. And I think what Jesus is saying is, you know, wherever you are tonight, whatever you're thirsty for, come to me. I, I have what you need. Verse 38 says that the way we quench our thirst is by believing in him. It's a very simple Greek verb. It just means trust. Your prayer might say something like, Jesus, I, I just feel kind of insecure. I feel like my relationships are based on performance. I feel like I could be canceled at any time. But I, I trust in your love. You know, you're not going to cancel me. Your love is where I find security. Or Jesus, I, I feel kind of lost. I'm, I'm not really sure why I'm here or where I'm going. I've had some false starts, some dead ends. I, I trust you to give my life meaning and significance. I, I, I trust you. I find purpose when I trust you. Jesus, I don't feel very safe right now. Matter of fact, I'm struggling with quite a bit of anxiety and COVID hasn't helped and neither has the war and I just feel like the sinner will not hold and I'm scared. But I trust, I, I trust you. I, I trust that in you there's a deep safety that I can't find anywhere else. Jesus, I don't feel clean. I'm, I'm haunted with regret. I have an endless tape playing in my mind, reminding me of my failures. I, I often feel that if people really knew me, they'd pull away. I need your grace. And I trust in your work on the cross to forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. 
So Jesus promises that when we believe, when we trust him, a river of life flows from our heart into the world around us. And he says, as the scripture said, and there are quite a few scriptures he could have been referring to. It's actually kind of a common theme. One he certainly had in mind was Ezekiel's great vision of the river flowing from the temple. Um, Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, uh, prophesied to the exiles in Babylon. And the first half of the book says judgment's coming. The second half of the book offers hope. The prophet's saying, God has not forgotten you. One day the Spirit will return and the world will be blessed through you again. And that's the context for this temple vision. Um, let's read it. You probably haven't spent a lot of time here this week. <laughs> it's a little bit of an odd one. Um, um, do we have that one? We, oh, okay, okay, no problem. Um, let me read it to you. We'll go old school here, all right? Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12. And what happens is there's this angelic being that is taking the prophet to look at this vision of the temple. So then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end, south of the altar. And then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Now I know that's a little hard to envision and part of it is because this is almost more like a, a, a poem and that uh, the, the vision is taking a little liberty with the geography. And so if you can imagine the temple is, and the vision, it's up on this hill and there's this river that's flowing to the east. And if, if you've seen a Bible map in the back of your Bible, the east is where the Dead Sea is. And to get to the east, you go through a, a desert, a desert region called the Ar Arabah. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits. It's about 500 meters. Then led me through the water. It was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water. It was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I couldn't pass through for the water had gotten so high. It was deep enough to swim in. And he said, son of man, have you seen this? So this miraculous river is flowing out of the temple to the east over towards the Dead Sea. And as it goes about a mile, it gets so broad and so deep that you, you couldn't swim across it. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and the other. And he said, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. The reason why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea is it is so um, salty that nothing can live there. There's no plant life or water life at all that's in the Dead Sea. And wherever the river grows, every living creature that swarms will live and there'll be many fish. For this water goes there, the waters of the sea, so they can become fresh. So everything can live. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. 
One thing you never see along the side of the Dead Sea is fishermen, because <laughs> there's a reason why they call it the Dead Sea. It's dead. From En Gedi to En Eglim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. It's just going to be so full of life. There's going to be fishing villages. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the Great Sea. That's the Mediterranean that's on the other side. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They're to be left for salt. We could stop and think about that. That's kind of fascinating. The salt of that region is known for its healing powers. They leave the salt there. They also use salt in temple worship. It was, a, it was a holy offering. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, they'll grow all kinds of trees for food. So you see this image now? The, 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 all along the side of the river are these trees and all this fruit. Remember, this is a desert region where nothing lives. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit won't fail. They'll bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. And their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So it's, it's just this incredible vision of abundance and fruitfulness and flourishing of the water of life coming out of the temple into barren regions and bringing life everywhere. And Jesus says, you're like that temple. Paul will say that too. Paul will also say that the church is like that temple, that this is God's dream for us. This is God's desire for us, is that as we drink deeply from him, as our deepest needs are satisfied in him, as we trust him, as we follow him, as we know him, that the result is that the, there's a flow of life that goes from us out into all the barren and dry places of the world. It's a beautiful picture. And then he follows this up in verse 39. He says, or John actually comments, he says, now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not glorified. Jesus is glorified in his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension and then he gives the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost. And on this side of Pentecost, everyone who believes receives the Spirit. So let's just kind of, as we move towards the, the end of the sermon here, let's just kind of let this metaphor work on us for a minute. You know, if you think of your life like a river... What kind of river is flowing through your life? Uh, what kind of wake do you leave behind? What kind of impact do you have on the people around you? Now, I, I, it's so easy in Christianity to become legalistic, and I'm, I don't want to do that now. Because one of the beautiful things about this verse is the angel doesn't say to the prophet, now do these four, do these four things and uh, uh, the river will flow. He doesn't say that, right? The, God is the one that causes the river to flow. We know that. But there are other scriptures that tell us there are things we can do to cooperate with the flow of the river. Ephesians uh, 430 says don't 
grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. So there, there's that part of the tension too, right? And so one of the things that you might want to think about is what, what is the river of my life like? I knew a man once, a long, long time ago, you know, not, not here, but there were a number of years when the river just almost like gushed from him. I mean, it just was, when I spent, the way I, when I spent time with him, I just felt closer to Jesus. I felt strengthened. I felt loved. I felt encouraged. I felt my faith awakened. And I don't know what happened to him. Something happened to him. And I noticed over time that I'd leave spending time with him and I'd think, man, I, I, I could go a long time without being around him again. Because everything felt negative and discouraging and critical and something poisoned his river. And he just became kind of a dark person. See, the keeper of the spring is important. We, we, need to, we need to protect the headwaters so that the river flows clean and pure. And again, don't want to put legalism on you here. Nature, there are seasons in nature. There are seasons in the spiritual life. We can't control how hard the river flows. But we can quench the spirit. So let's just kind of work it out like this as we end. What can we do to try to keep the spring pure? Well, let's go back to that simple verb Jesus uses for faith, believe. Um, it, it does have to do with believing certain things about Jesus. We call them doctrines because it's important to know who you're believing in. That's part of it. But even more so, belief is about trusting in a person. That's what it really means to believe, is to trust in this person, Jesus. There was a Swiss theologian about a century ago named Hans von Balthasar, and he wrote about the two dramas that we have to choose to live from. And he called them the ego drama and the theodrama. And the ego drama is a story in which I am the star and the producer, and everything is about me. The theodrama is a story in which I find my place in the much larger drama that God is doing in the world. And God is the star and the producer, and I play a supportive role. And so when, when Jesus invites us to believe, he's asking us to leave the ego drama and take our part in the theodrama. Here, I think, at least in my own life, and I suspect this is generally true, here is how you poison the river. Here, here is a way to shut down the flow is that you move from 
a theodrama to an egodrama. That maybe you began with a deep and rich trust in him and like Ray said, you're ready to kind of follow into radical places. But over time, you changed scripts and you went back and you decided actually things are going pretty well. I am in control of my life. I am going to do some things to make sure that I'm safe and secure. And I'm going to stop saying yes to anything that might move me out of that comfort zone. And in my experience, when you do that, when I do that, the river stops flowing. Jesus says to disciples, follow me. And when you say, not tonight, the river starts to clog up. Beloved, are you following Jesus? Are you responding to his invitations and promptings and corrections? When he invites you somewhere, do you say yes? When he warns you of not going somewhere, do you stop? That's how we keep the spring pure. The monk and spiritual writer Thomas Merton uh, expresses kind of this heart of what it means to follow God in a famous prayer, and I'll just read it with you as we go to the table. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will doesn't mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Lord, as we come to the table now we're reminded with the bread and the wine that there is forgiveness for us 
when we take back control. That there's forgiveness for us when we decide to live in the ego drama again. There is forgiveness for us when we say no to your invitation. And so as we come to the table tonight, Lord, if there's anything in us that is keeping us from following you, if there's anything you've asked us to do, we're not doing. Ask us to be, we're not being. Asked us to flee, that we're not fleeing. Lord, we, we come to the altar tonight and lay it here and experience your forgiveness in a fresh way. And God, as we do that as a people and as a church, would, would you let the river flow? Pure, life-giving, healing water into the hearts of those we love. We ask this in your name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts.